Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 35. We're back with another adventure sponsor. This, I believe, is Adventurer Adventurer 8 out of 9, or 8 out of 10. So we are getting well into the thick of it here and uh, saving one of the best for almost last, Jonathan Davis. Thanks for joining us today. Hey there, guys. How's it going? We also have Avery, as always. Hello. She's trusty and keeps us keeps us on target and on time. So, Jonathan, you did a lot, frankly, but the main adventure was hiking the Hayduke Trail, making a backpack. So we're going to dive all into that stuff in a minute. But first things first, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then why did you want to do an adventure sponsorship for Ripstop by the Roll? Um, well, well, I'm Jonathan. I'm 30 years old, and I am living currently in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, was kind of moving around a bit doing the whole van life situation this summer. Um, but the main reason why I wanted to was I wanted to dive a little bit further into um, creating packs. And honestly, I really wanted to get a hold of that venom fabric <laughs> and I wanted to see what that was all about. So um, this opportunity kind of presented itself and uh, Matt from Red Paw Packs had reached out and showed me what it was. And I was like, this actually sounds like something pretty fun. So um, yeah, before I knew it, I was ordering some stuff out and, uh, started, started coming up with an idea as to what I wanted to make. I love the, the initiation story. I know that you have ties with Matt from Red Paw, and I know that you got to meet, um, some of our team earlier this summer, um, at OR Outdoor Retailer. Um, so you've had a little bit of connection with us over the summer and have been able to meet us or the others in person. Um, still, so tell still, us- still having FOMO from that. <laughs> yeah, we're still extremely jealous <laughs> invited to the party, but that's okay. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about what you do recreationally in your free time and then also what you do vocationally and for work. Yeah, so in in free time, um, over the last like decade or so, I've been getting more into hiking and backpacking. And uh, over the last, say, four years now, just some sp- uh, through, hike- through hiking sprinkled in there. And um, yeah, uh, along with that, I mean, we did the van life thing over the summer. I've uh, been doing a little on and off climbing here and there. And hopefully this winter get into some winter sports as well. But pretty much the same thing every other dirtbag does, just go out into the woods and play around for a bit. I love that. That is definitely the goal. And then what do you do um, for work? Oh, yeah. Well, for for work, I'm actually at the studio now. Um, I do mostly uh, photo work, video work, um, photo and video editing, everything basically around media. Um, and currently I'm actually with outdoor evolution. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but, uh, everybody knows, you know, Darwin on the trail outside, uh, you know, doing his hiking videos and all that kind of stuff, but he's, he's actually, uh, stepped up his game over the last few years and has been producing, um, bigger media projects. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm honored to be here and, and working with him. So Jonathan, you are like the quintessential Instagram adventurer, like the van life. I know you've been in Colorado, down to Sedona, the climbing, the hiking. You're like fitting everyone's dream perfectly. I I mean, uh, over this last year, (laughs) I I actually, I just, I just like released a video of the recap of this last year. And I was actually in awe of how much I had done and accomplished and, and just experienced over the last year. So this last year has been a huge one for me, for sure. What was COVID van life like? I know this wasn't one of the questions that we were going to ask, but like, I am kind of curious or like what jumping around was, was like while trying to do that. So most of the time, um, the way that I approach like the travel on the road or the van life situation is different from some, because I stay away from cities and towns as much as possible. Um, And I'll usually find a place that's either like BLM or something along the lines of that to where I can go park and camp for free. Um, for example, I was out at last dollar road in Telluride for, you know, a few weeks out there. And basically it it looks kind of similar to regular life, except 
where where your house is is in the outdoors so mm. you just have easier access to things sure so you know you still do your shopping each week for groceries and wake up make breakfast uh, my partner maddie she had a remote job as well and she was working and you know i'd i'd wake up take the dog out for a walk or go hike or go do other things and um also get some video and photo stuff done while i was out there so it felt very similar except like the moment i'm done working is the moment that you're outside already and kind of doing mm -hmm. stuff so um, yeah i guess there's no there's no like lag time you know like your rollover and your proximity is so immediate there's no like let me commute home get changed drive to my recreation location and then start recreating <laughs> you're exactly. already exactly yep you wake up and you could you, you're outside already so it's it's nice to to have that feel and when you have a remote job or you have freelance style of work you kind of can start whenever you want to so it allows you to get into these really good routines uh, much akin to through hiking where you wake up you know you kind of have your morning routine and then you just kind of go for the rest of the day and it, everything starts to feel a little bit more natural waking up in the morning is way easier because you have the sun helping you wake up and going to sleep uh, at a reasonable time is is fine as well but at home like whenever i'm living in an apartment i'm like sometimes up until two o'clock in the morning, like regularly, <laughs> it's kind of bad. Uh, you oh. and me both. So that's a perfect segue though. You mentioned through hiking and um, those patterns, your adventure, you were able to hike the Hayduke trail. I'm not going to lie until you mentioned it, never heard of it before. I know nothing about it uh, other than what you told us, but for the listeners, tell us what the Hayduke trail is like miles, vertical distance, location, terrain, you fill in the gaps for us. So the, the whole goal was to do, um, hey duke to arizona trail because there's a point where they overlap and the idea was to take hey duke as soon as it, it connects kind of somewhere near the grand canyon then taking that all the way south to the mexico border and the whole goal was 1300 miles total the hey duke itself is only 800 um oh my and God. the the uh arizona trail is 800 but connecting them together is about 13 but the um the hey duke is the Hayduke is what I thought through hiking was going to be. And what I mean by that is there's nobody out there. It's dangerous. It's risky. It's terrifying at times. And I really at times felt like I was just kind of out there. Um, and it was just me and my buddy, Nick, he's, you know, my best friend. I've actually hiked the PCT with him as well, but with just the two of us, we really had to rely on each other and communicate well together. And whereas on other hikes, we separate and just, you know, kind of hike because you're on a trail and it's no big deal for this. We were, we were with each other the entire time because there's times where we're spotting each other on climbs. Um, there's like rock fall happening. It's, it, it gets, it gets pretty extreme out there. So when you say Arizona, I'm picturing like the desert, some Canyon, so very little green, very dry are those all accurate <laughs> that was that was my experience on the hay duke so the hay duke actually starts in like near moab uh utah okay. and it it connects all of the national parks going through um let me see it starts off in um arches and goes through canyonlands capitol reef bryce grand canyon zion but it's not a trail it's just a complete it's just a route um okay. so yeah water out there is really hard you're just kind of like going into canyons oftentimes bushwhacking and fighting your way through and then climbing out of that canyon and going to the next one so it's just this like repetitive process of just like beating yourself up daily <laughs> and sometimes literally climbing out of that canyon right <laughs> yeah oh yeah there's a there's some footage i have like easily some you know uh class five moves that you're doing with a pack on so it's 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 not for the faint of heart. And I honestly, like anybody asks me, like, should I go do the Hey Duke? The answer is probably no. Um, <laughs> Cause it's like both me and my buddy have like a lot of climbing experience and we feel really confident communicating with one another. Um, so having that partner there with me through that entire experience was like, was vital. Like there's not another friend or person I would ever take out on that trail. Like he's the only person. That is a really special thing to say as someone else who has through hiked and spent, 
you know, uh, five months with people, uh, not 24 hours a day, but, you know, at camp and in the morning and things like that, um, to have that trust in your friend and rely on them, especially in a trail that is more remote, more dangerous, like you said, more navigating, not following places or things like that could definitely be a little risky. So the fact that you have the bond and the trust with someone is really special. Um, a few more questions about your adventure. So what time of year for people who are listening, um, what time of year did you set out on the Hey Duke Trail? Uh, well, we actually did it in the fall, which is uncommon. Most people usually do it in the springtime. Uh, so we were out there um, September and October of the times that we were out there. Um, but yeah, we started, I don't know, sometime around early to mid-September, I want to say. That's great to know. And then do you know the statistics? I'm just curious on the, sorry, my puppy is working on the statistics okay. on how many people um, accomplish or complete the Hayduke Trail or set out on it every year? There's there's no like actual statistics out there. The only stat that I got while I was out there is there's this uh, like Moab adventure company that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And he says that he sees Hayduke hikers every single year, uh, but he only sees about 20 um, so it's, it's not a lot of people that are going out there. And like I said, for, for good reason, uh, there's no gut hook for it. There's no, you know, most of the time you're, you're navigating via map and compass. Um, there are, there are some, I think like a GPX track you can find out there, but it's kind of against like the spirit of the Hey Duke to like, try to f- like actually follow a specific path. It's more of like an adventure to like navigate through these challenging terrains. So I, I would consider myself to be a fairly adventurous person, uh, until I talk to pretty much anybody that we work with. <laughs> I mean, like Avery's through hike the AT Isaac's been to war Carter's hiked more miles than anybody else I know. And then you're talking about eight, 800 mile trek through Arizona with no trail. Um, but I love it because it's super exciting to hear about what it's like to actually to go do that. And it is very inspiring. I want to start to bridge between your adventure to the pack. Um, I, I don't want to skip over the adventure at all, but I'm very curious because you specifically mentioned the venom earlier as well, that you really want to get your hands on that. Your pack from a face value uh, resembled uh, really cool characteristics that a lot of ultralight packs have. Did you do anything for your pack specifically that was tapered to the environment? Because like the climbing you mentioned, the bushwhacking you mentioned, like these are things that some ultralight packs won't see and like could ruin a lot of pack designs depending on how it goes. But like you chose Venom, which is obviously a ridiculously durable fabric. Did you do anything else for your pack to to make it specifically for the Hey Duke? No, exactly like you said, um, the Venom fabric was was a huge factor for me because I wanted to make sure that my pack wasn't going to fall apart out there. Um, (laughs) I did choose like the, the usual grid stuff, like the Moroccan blue Mm -hmm. you've seen uh, for the side pockets. And even that got holes popped in it and everything over time from being out there. So, yep, that's the stuff. (laughs) Uh, But even, even that, even that got beat up over time from being out there, which like, you ask anybody and they're like, Oh yeah, that fabric is just it's yeah. so durable. And like, it's like the Hey Duke's a different creature. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's, it's important to keep things, you know um, you know, lightweight. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I was going for is I wanted something that was comfortable enough for the really long water carries and long food carries um, something that was durable enough to stand up to the elements of like what I was facing. And we surprisingly got a lot of rain as well. So it helps to like have that water resistance from the venom fabric. Um, but I basically, I chose features that I've found on other backpacks and I just kind of took them all and mashed it together and made, um, what I thought would be the most efficient pack for myself. Um, so yeah, weight, comfort, accessibility to things and durability. were all kind of like stacked on top of one another. That kind of sounds like a Carter's rule of three. (laughs) <laughs> whatever yeah. you call it Jameson yep, the, the fabric application triad yeah that's right yes <laughs> um so before we go 
uh, even deeper into what you made for the sponsorship, uh, give us a little insight to your sewing experience, um, the experience you had before you took on creating a backpack, because that's a big and scary thing for a lot of people. And then uh, what machine you maybe currently use and then what machine you use to create your pack. Yeah, so um, my sewing experience is actually pretty laughable. Um, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of, uh, of, of past experience. Um, I, I sewed a couple things like on my grandmother's old, uh, singer machine, but the first project, like real project I ever did, um, was with Matt from, from Redpaw. Um, I went over to his house and I think just from seeing so many packs from like working at REI to like buying packs and kind of studying them I had a design and I had an idea in my head already so the first time I made a pack I went over his house and he's like you know I have like templates and different things you can use I was like no 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 I just want to I just want to wing it <laughs> I want to go for it and I want you to be there to help me from tripping and falling on my face um so I made this tiny little uh pack made out of like the 2.92 uh square ounce uh, ounce per square yard DCF and this thing was miniature, um, but I took that out on the long trail. It did pretty well. And uh, that's like the biggest project I had before him. Um, but yeah, when I got this material together, I asked Matt if it was okay if I went over his shop because the, the machine that I have is, I think it's called like a, a Euro Pro Deluxe Denim Machine. It's another one of my, my grandmother's um, old machines. And it just has a couple more uh, stitches that you can use on it. So that's why I kept that one instead of the singer. But um, yeah, the, the machines that we used uh, over at his place, he had the main one was like a, a Juki. I'm not sure what model it was. Um, and I got a chance to use his bar tack, which if you guys saw the video, I messed up my first bar tack and just <laughs> destroyed the shoulder straps and had to like go back and do it over again, which was slightly embarrassing. But that's what happens when you're, yeah, I think I was like 13 hours deep uh, making that pack in one day. It was so yeah. ridiculous. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not, not much experience at all. You know, um, I just kind of had like a willingness to, to make something. And I, again, after testing a lot of different backpacks, I knew what I wanted in my mind. And after having that smaller pack, I wanted something that fit more of like a traditional through hiking size. I'm curious too, this is a, a little off question, but how long have you known Matt from Redpaw and how did you guys meet? Was it virtual connection or it's, you're laughing, so it must be a good story, but. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think it was 2017, I reached out to him because he had posted something on the Ultralight Reddit um, about fanny packs. And I had never really considered him before until I saw his design. And I reached out to him, I was like, hey man, is it cool if I buy one of those from you? He's like. I, I just like made one for myself. Like that's not, I'm not like selling them. And I was like, dude, I I'll, I'll pay for it. I don't care what I got to pay for it. You know, that's fine. He's like, I'm sorry. I just like, don't really have time. I was like, all right, fine. So I went and bought a fanny pack from another company and the thing was massive. And if, <laughs> if you, if like, if anybody's told you I'm, I'm a small dude, I'm only like five, six. And this thing was like, it was like a, um, a PFD or something. It was like a flotation <laughs> device. It's so bad. So I was, I was like, okay, I can't do this. So I sent it back and I messaged Matt one more time. I was like, please, is there any chance? And he's like, you know what? I actually just made an extra one. Like if you want to buy it, you know, that's fine. So I bought it off of him, took it on my Appalachian trail through hike and fell in love with it. And I gave him like some feedback on the design and stuff like that. He made some updates. And ever since then, we were just kind of like, you know, stayed in contact. And one day he's like, you know, I, I've been thinking about it and I'd like to make you an ambassador. He's like, but I can't pay you any money. And he's like, I can't give you, I can't even give you anything for free right now. He's like, <laughs> but, he's like, but I, I'd like to, I'd like to have you on. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I, I believe in your product. Like, I don't care. You don't have to pay me anything. I just like, I'm going to talk about it anyway. So, if, you know, if you want to feature me from time to time, that's cool. You know, I don't really mind, but yeah, we, we go back to, let's say about 2017. So, yeah. I love that story and those connections. I think, you know, um, as a through hiker, you know, sometimes a trail is 2,200 miles long, but only like 
two feet wide. And a lot of times when you're in the MYOG or ultralight community, um, like part of my job is browsing Reddit and these things and people make fast friendships um, and they like to just help each other out and answer questions and um, become fast friends. So I love that friendship story for you guys. Um, super cute. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. He's been such a cool, cool dude to work with. Uh, and like, the, the great thing is, you know, he, he doesn't have as much time to go out and do these big through hikes or anything. So I'm kind of like his gear tester in a sense. So anytime he makes a new design, like he just sends it, you know, he'll send it out to me and say, you know, what do you think? And I'll go out and test it and give him some feedback on it. And, you know, he's, he's the only company person, et cetera, that I've ever worked with that has been like very receptive to the feedback and doesn't have like an ego about him about like design or anything like that. He's, he's like, he understands, um, uh, like what people might want or might need, uh, you know, out through hiking, for example. Yeah, I think that's sure. really important in, uh, making your own gear and cottage companies specifically, like people can offer that feedback and they can be receptive because they're not making a product in 2020 for 2022 that'll eventually be manufactured. They can say, okay, well, I can customize a specific piece for you, or you make a really valid point. Other people have mentioned the same thing where they can just immediately, the next time they sit down at their machine, just start making those changes, which is one of the really like unicorn special things about making your own gear and shopping local or shopping from cottage companies to support them because you can really, like you said, reach out to them and ask them, Hey, can you do this thing for me? And you never know what they might say. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's, that was the coolest thing with like working with him. Um, any of the packs or fanny packs or, or any gear that I've gotten from him is that, um, you know, because we have this close bond, this close relationship, you know, I'm, I'm, working on getting better at like making my own stuff, but I have somebody who's, uh, you know, more of an expert in that field. And we kind of, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship where we help each other out um, to where like I give him feedback on different gear and I get to, you know, test certain things of his, but he also gives me feedback on how I can kind of improve on making my own stuff as well. So it's, it's, it's nice. Like we're, we're both like the big brother to each other in, in different fields, you know? So that's cool. Uh, we can't say enough good things about Matt that can't, can't be done, but we will keep this train rolling. So for anyone listening, go check out Red Pock and he'll, I'm sure he'll come up again later on in this conversation. <laughs> but as for your pack, we talked about it a little bit, but give us the kind of 30,000 foot overview of what you did, what your pack was, the general pockets and construction layout, stuff like that. Okay. So the side pockets were made out of the grid stop material. Um, sized just the right size to fit two one liter bottles uh, had a bottom pocket on it and all of the stretchy pockets all had the um uh, the dyneema stretch mesh uh again durability was kind of top of mind there um so i had a bottom pocket i had two shoulder strap pockets um and then the front pocket were all made out of that material and then the main pack body was made out of the venom fabric um and then the top. So I ended up um, finding some silk nylon that that Matt had uh, that we used for the top. And what I did was created just a, a collar with a cinch on it. So it just cinches, rolls down, clips over top. Um, sourced a metal like G hook uh, to to go on there. And then um, yeah, shoulder straps used the I believe it was the quarter inch. Uh, spacer mesh, and then had them rock and blue grid stop uh, for the shoulder straps as well. The foam, the foam, I ended up picking up some EVA foam, um, but wasn't quite happy with it. I should have stuck with what most people use, which is like, I think it's like the FY20. Uh, it's like a polypropylene. Um, I probably should have stuck with that because the foam that I used uh, ended up kind of flattening out, shrinking prematurely, I would say. Um, so that was just kind of like the one bummer of that, that design. How do you feel like the Venom held up over time? You said the grid stop kind of ripped out, but how did the main pack do? It, it still looks brand new. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of disgusting. Like it's, it's with, with how much I took that pack through, like it still looks brand new. 
Um, and I'm, I'm kind of interested to dive, like to utilize it more because yeah. um, I still have extra fabric and I want to make some design tweaks and still use that fabric, but I might even use it for the side pockets as well. Um, yeah. just because it is more durable. Um, I mean, and at the 3.9 ounces that it is, you're looking at almost the same weight as the grid stop anyway. Like there's not a yeah. color. You're not going to get like a sexy Moroccan blue, but it is bulletproof. <laughs> not really, but you know what which, I mean? Which the blue, I, I don't know how I've like pigeonholed myself into the blue every time. I'm not even that big of a fan of blue. Um, it's just the first, the first pack I made with Matt, he just happened to have blue uh, 2.92 DCF. And then like when I was looking at all the different options for the grid stop, I, I don't know. I was just kind of like drawn to it. And I've, I've yeah. been wanting to use that Moroccan blue for something for the longest time. <laughs> and I saw you guys had it in stock and I was like, I'm getting it. Like whether or not it makes sense to me, like I just, I want it and I'm going to put it on my back because I think it looks good. It does. It is a really nice blue. I'll give you like, I'm, I do like certain accent colors, but the guys around here always tease me for being super boring because when it comes down to it, I just think like super clean black lines, like the way to go. And, uh, no, I think the Moroccan blue is stunning. Like it, it, it is a good pick. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. I think, I think, yeah, next time I might switch it up, do a different color or something, but uh, like overall the side pockets, they did fine. Um, cause I could just, you know, patch it up with either mm -hmm. some tape or, or sew it up real quick. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it does add that accent color, but who knows? Like most yeah. through hiking applications, you know, the side pockets, you don't need them to be that crazy. Sure. Um, but one idea I was toying around with was updating my first pack design and having a better kind of like an elastic style material for the side pockets, just to kind of keep things a little tucked in more, yep. uh, especially yep. if there's nothing in there, it kind of like slims it out a little bit. You um, mentioned the bottom pocket and because obviously I follow all the other pack companies and ultralight and reddit myog i'm more familiar with the bottom pocket but it has recently come to my attention that there are people who are not aware of the good world of the bottom pocket so for people who aren't familiar with the idea of a bottom pocket can you explain to others why you decided to implement implement that into your pack and why you loved it or maybe didn't love it and what you kind of use it for? Well, all of my through hiking has been done utilizing a bottom pocket because <laughs> first hike I went on uh, the AT, I took the Plante V1 um, and then on PCT is the Plante V2. And of course, you know, they, they kind of started that, that trend. Mm -hmm. um, but my, my whole thing with trying to log miles and, and keep on pace is having accessibility to things. I am so stubborn that I could be absolutely getting torched from the sun with sunscreen <laughs> and I will not stop to put on sunscreen. I don't know what it is with my brain, but like if I have access to things, um, then I'll use it. So that's why I use a fanny pack because I like having access to certain things. Um, but the bottom pocket, the bottom pocket, you can fit like near a day's worth of food in the bottom pocket and you kind of create a little trash hole on the other side that has like a little lip on it so it catches any wrappers so as you're pulling out from one side and you eat the thing you stuff it in the other side it's a small hole so it, the stuff can't come out so you you have access to food while you're walking the entire day um so you don't have to break for for that either so i i will walk until I'm starving. And at that point it's already way too late. So to keep calories consistent keep things moving, I just like to, you know, try and keep food, uh, you know, wolfing it down as much as I can. I'm extremely jealous that you don't know a world without a bottom pocket. So <laughs> I am going to have to make my own pack and obviously implement that bottom pocket. Cause I, I don't know that life, but I would like to. <laughs> And even if you don't use it for food specifically, there's so many other things you could shove down there. Um, you know, Plante originally created that with that hole in the side to shove an umbrella underneath. So, you know, if it starts raining, whip out the umbrella real quick. It's a little bit easier to access than trying to reach back and, you know, yank it out kind of thing. So, I mean, you can use it for clothes. Like if you take a jacket off and shove it under there, you can use it for whatever you want. Um, my, my way of using it is for food, but, you know, there's no right way.
they uh there's a phrase like the built different phrase floating around a lot and i feel like palante i i unfortunately do not remember the guy's name off the top of my head but palante has a lot of ideas like that that pot bottom pocket one of them that like they're they're just built different like their concepts for pocket design and layout and stuff is so intuitive and i mean i've ripped off their ideas for packs like the like the the vertical grab handle is on like that pack that i made another one that was like my actual my my real pack that i use frequently that one has the has the opposite grab handle stuff like it's so intuitive it just makes sense um yeah, they've got some pretty sweet designs. Uh, you know, the Joey was, I, I think, one of like the best designs that they've created. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's taking a running vest style pack and and kind of optimizing it in, in such an awesome way. So, yeah, it's, it's cool the stuff that they've come up with. Yeah. So I think a lot of people design a pack based on the gear that they use. For example, I use the Cat and I B free filter. So I love vest style straps. So I can just pull out filter and, and go on, you know, leave on the go. I know there's one design specifically that you built in for your camera, but tell us a little bit for those hiker nerds. that want to know a little bit more. Like, did you build in stuff for like you filter for soft flasks or your camera latch or like anything like that that you built into the pack? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I completely forgot that I had done that. So <laughs> because I like the shoulder straps to be so wide, I feel like that displacement matters more than thickness because it all depend, you know, relies on where it's falling on the shoulders, right? So I like having real wide shoulder straps. And because of that, you can't put like the Peak Designs uh, capture clip on there uh, because it, it, you know, it can only fit on maybe like two and a half, maybe three inch width at that point you're then you're then just crushing the foam and kind of causing damage to the shoulder strap so all i did was i included a piece of like seat belt webbing that is uh stitched in to the shoulder strap so that i could put the capture clip there because i like having my camera right here and i've used it that way on on other hikes and it felt the most comfortable to me but um yeah just being able to have access to my my camera right there um without damaging anything underneath was like was kind of a key thing um other than that the biggest thing that i was like adamant about is the side pockets i wanted to make sure that they were cut at the right angle and they were the right height so that i can reach back and grab water bottles out of the side pockets without having to like loosen the pack or do anything funny um again that just kind of comes down to like you know keeping accessibility top of mind but front front pocket up here, I always have a water bottle. The little the pocket that's on this side is usually camera kind of accessories because if I need it, you know, for my camera, it's all just right there. I think that's really um, brilliant. And I do have another question that was not planned that I'm just going to tack onto this since we're on the subject. But um, do you have any tips or tricks for people who are hiking or adventuring with very expensive photo equipment, maybe a trick that you do to help it keep dry or something to encourage people and not be as afraid to take, you know, a thousand dollar camera out there, $500 lens to get these epic photos. Yeah. So a using a capture clip, I mean, I've tripped and fallen so many times and haven't had it hit anything. Um, that thing I think is able to withstand like 250 pounds. So it's not going to go anywhere. Um, but for weather, cause that's, that's usually the biggest thing that I'm, that I kind of get worried about at times, but just bringing a small dry bag is actually what I would do that or like a big gallon Ziploc bag. And most camera, well, depending on what price range you go in at, um, like my camera has like weather sealing in it, but in a torrential downpour, I'm not going to trust it. So the raindrops start coming, I'll leave it out for a little bit, but if I feel it starting to come down hard, then I can throw, um, either the dry bag just over it, mm. um, or the same thing with like a, a plastic bag over it. But if it's coming down terribly hard, then I will take it off completely, roll it up in the dry bag and just hold it in my hand. Um, a big thing that helps with that though, to continue to be able to use it in the rain, is just using an umbrella, bring that umbrella along with you, pop it up and it keeps most of that moisture off anyways. Um, and you can still, you know, kind of set up your umbrella in a way that it can be hands-free and you can still take photos or take videos with it. So that's, that's my biggest advice, umbrella, dry bag and capture clip. You're, you're selling the camera clip hardcore, Jonathan. And I appreciate it because I've considered it a lot of times and I've never pulled the trigger, 
but I've also been that guy that's brought his camera on a trip and never took it out because <laughs> it was in my pack, right? Like I don't want to exactly. stop and pull it out every single time, but there's also not a good way to store it. Like I've considered making fanny packs just for like, all right, fine. I'll put my camera in the fanny pack so I can whip it out. But then I'm also not using my fanny pack for the way I normally would, which would be, you know, snacks and other stuff. But I, yeah, you're, you're definitely selling me on the camera clip right now. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly, that's a big reason as to why I went with it is, I'm the same way. If I don't have access to it, I'm not going to use it. <laughs> and having it there, I've, I've caught wildlife photos where I see something and it's as quick as that. Like you mm. can pop the button and lift up at the same time and it's in your hand and you're ready to go. Yeah. So it's, it's the fastest way. And I've seen other companies making camera bags that kind of go across the front. Yeah. And sit. Nah, nah. nah, that's <laughs> way too much. I, I don't want like my vision impaired. I don't want it like sitting in here. I want, you know, off to the side, it's not in the way. Um, and the fanny pack thing too, like you said, it's, it's an option. Um, but I use a full frame mirrorless and it's, it's a little bit bulkier. So yeah. I would have to use a pretty big fanny pack for that. And then, like you said, you can't use the other thing. So like, I, I mean, in my fanny pack, I have chapstick, toothbrush, toothpaste, headphones, uh, charging equipment, like all mm -hmm. of my electronics go in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything that I want access to is there. So again, it's, some people are like, dude, you can't just stop for like two seconds. And like, <laughs> like I could, but like my brain is like, no, nah, yeah. enough. If you stop for five minutes, that's like, you know, a quarter mile, you could be up the trail kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Or if you think you're going to stop for two, it always ends up being eight or like, yes. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to stop for that long. <laughs> well, my, my thing is too, is whenever I stop, when I start again, I'm like, an old man just trying to like hobble my way back into feeling warmed up again. So it's, I'm, I'm just like in pain. So I, I learned this on, I did like a really long day on the PCT and I did. All right, here, here's the humble brag. So I did um, 50 miles in 12 and a half hours. So that's four miles an hour, four mile an hour average. The moment I stopped to take a break, the rest of the day, like I had planned, how much can I do in a day? The rest of the day, it took me that long to do 22 more miles. So I was only like halfway through the day. And as soon as I started up again, my legs were shutting down. Like <laughs> I couldn't even take in water or food. And it, it became a struggle after that point. Whereas like, I feel like if I would have just kept going, yeah. I would have been, you know, I could have done more potentially, but yeah, the moment yeah. I stop, everything just shuts down. So what was the hardest part of the process besides uh, maybe the hardest thing, which would be hiking 50 miles in a day and 12 hours on the PCT? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'd have to say, well, filming and editing the video more than anything, <laughs> because it's like you, you're not focused as much on the project and you're like, did I get the right angles with this while I'm doing it? Um, but no, seriously, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was a, a challenging part to it. But, um, I mean, anybody will tell you though, shoulder straps, shoulder straps are the worst. I mean, from like the, the intricate sewing that you have to do to kind of get all the corners and the amount of layers that you have to like, sew through and make sure everything's perfect. And then you flip it inside out and realize you just messed the whole thing up and you have to start over all over again. <laughs> But if you get it right, then you're, you're sitting there trying to shove the foam into the shoulder strap and get everything all lined up. And no matter how well you think you shoved it down there, after you attach everything, there's still a little gap in the bottom that says, you know, you didn't match things up right. So shoulder straps are by far um, like the most intricate. Um, but the top collar too, surprisingly, because it's it was a separate fabric. So I had to cut it exact to fit um, so that when I stitched it on there, there was, wasn't any overlaps in like the material. That was, that was a bit challenging. That was something that I messed up real bad on my first pack and got a lot better on this one. Yeah. I didn't realize how important like elementary school maths were going to be until I started sewing. And then it was like figuring out, I'm like, wait a second. Okay. If it's 16 inches wide, it was a half inch seam allowance and I cut it out. Right. And I'm like, why am I still sewing two inches what of overlap here? 
<laughs> what happened? <laughs> you will you will fool yourself every single time. No matter how many times you feel you get the measurement right. Like on that pack, I, I was like, oh, I nailed all the side panels and the pan. Everything's going to look good. And I got it. And it's like side panels were like higher than the front <laughs> and back panel. And I was like, yes. snip, snip, snip. <laughs> Just sew it over it. And, hey, it looks clean now. Yeah. This is two liters smaller now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, uh, well... So it'll be fine. I'll just make the top yeah. collar a little longer. Yeah. yeah. One thing I've realized too about making your own gear is I, I'm a planner. So like I, whenever I'm going to make something, if it's not like sometimes I'll make stuff just to make like at the end of the day, I'm like, I just want to sew something and it's like a ZPP. It doesn't really matter. And I might ruin it a little bit, but it doesn't matter. But if I'm going to like make like an intentional pack, like I really want to use, like I'm going to plan it out, like every dimension, everything, like mark out all the components, like I'm to a T but no matter how much planning you do, like you will ruin something, like something will get torched and it's not going to be like, it will never be finished the way that you started to, but how okay that is. Like it has actually helped me learn to be more okay with things not going hundred percent to plan because like, even on the, like the most perfectly designed pack that I made where I sat down with Isaac and Carter and I consulted them and we went to Carter's house and we looked at different packs. Like <laughs> I planned everything out possibly that I could have, and it still didn't end up the exact way that I planned it. <laughs> but it still worked out right for like people that want to control things like me. I like that. It scares me for it to be not perfect, but like to, to take, you know, a homemade pack on a Hey Do trail and have it still work out is very reassuring to people that are nervous about it. Be like, you can F it up really badly and it will still be fine. Like it'll still work for you. It'll still function perfectly. It does not have to be perfect to work. That's the beauty of making your own gear though. I think is like the little, the little mistakes that, sometimes other people can't even figure out what you yeah. messed up, but you yeah. know it because you, yeah. you were there for the process and you either tried to cover it up or you fixed it or what have you. But <laughs> the, the messing up or like the imperfections just kind of make it feel more personal uh, versus yeah. like something that, you know, somebody who's, who's so like 300 packs is just like kind of ripping out another one. It's, it, there's not as much of like a personal thing there. It's just, yeah. you, know, you went online or you went in person, you bought something. But like to like take the time, put all that effort and energy in, still mess up, but then like have a, a, a thing that at the end of the day, like you take on this trip and it doesn't have to be anything grandiose. It could just be, you know, a day hike, but like just to take something out and be like, I made that yeah. and like it works and it, it brings, it, it wipes away all those mistakes like yeah. that. And it will work. I've never had something that's been MIG really let me down. Like I've been on top of grandfather mountain, like seven miles into a run, my shoulder strap like ripped off. But like, I, I knew it enough that I was able to like tie it back on. Like it got me five more miles to where I needed to go. Like it did fail, but also it wasn't catastrophic. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've honestly from like bigger companies had catastrophic failures on trail and part of like your preparedness in the backcountry is having stuff to be able to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I always bring um, floss and a needle because floss mm -hmm. is, you know, it's waterproof uh, or it's coated um, mm -hmm. and it's very strong. So I usually have that in my pack as like a, an extra thing yeah. to sew stuff up, which I've been there too. Shoulder strip was <laughs> ripping out and I'm like sitting there in a shelter on the AT, like, you know, finessing it and trying to make it, you know, <laughs> as good as I can. It got me through the rest of the trail. So, yeah. you know, it's amazing. I think, I think sometimes people, people might focus too much on the, like, it's gotta be bomb proof. It's gotta mm -hmm. be perfect. It's gotta be this when like most of us are going out on trails that are, you know, nice and maintained and yeah, you're not like brushing through things. It's not like, you know, you're, you're going to war with it. You're just, you're, you're just, you know, you're going out and going hiking and you can make packs out of much thinner, much cheaper materials. And if it's your first pack, you should, um, but to be able to make something to just be able to take it out, doesn't, doesn't require much, you know, yeah. the stitching, stitching surprisingly holds up when you, when you look at the, the thread itself and you're like, you pop it easily. You're like, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> yeah. And then you sew it and you try to, you're with all your might, try to tear it and it, it doesn't budge. Yeah. And I think that gives you that confidence too, is like, well, even if I messed up a little bit, it'll be fine. Yeah. So what's next? Hey, Duke trail marked off. You've done the PCT, the AT, the long trail. <laughs> well, hold on. So I got, I have to clear that up. So that's, I, I didn't complete the Hey Duke trail. So we were, we were going to connect it to the AZT. Okay. 
And what happened was as soon as I got on the Arizona trail, I've lived in Arizona for the last like 15, 16 years. I got bored, <laughs> like <laughs> kind of extremely. So, um, cause we were on this like crazy adventure and finding your way and tiptoeing through cacti and nearly falling off of cliffs and all this stuff to where I got on a trail. And like the Northern portion of the AZT is a lot on, um, uh, like forest service roads. Oh, wow. And I was just kind of like, this is, this doesn't <laughs> feel right. And everything just kind of fell off. And like, my mind was just like back on the Hey Duke. I was like, I just want to be out there. I just want to get this done. I want to get this done. And I've been in that position before where I finished a hike just to finish the hike. And it didn't make me feel any better. Mm-hmm. And so I decided in that moment, I was like, what do I want to be doing right now? And is it possible to do that? And like, just go do that instead because I, I just, I wasn't feeling happy, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I have not completed it, but I do have plans not next year, but I want to create a loop out of the Hayduke. I would like to do the, the official route and somehow loop it all the way back to the beginning. Um, might have to go out there a couple of times to kind of figure out the logistics and kind of find sure. my own route. But, um, that's something that I want to do. Um, but next year, mostly like my plans are all kind of around uh, just really stepping up my game in terms of like photography, videography, and just like media projects Sure. Um, and potentially doing some traveling with that. Um, but the one, one hike that I have my eyes set on next year would be the Colorado trail. And the way that I want to hike that is very different from like how I've hiked other trails. Like normally when I'm by myself, it's kind of like a fast and light and kind of, you know, moving through the train and that kind of thing. But for this, like, I want to go with my partner, Maddie, and I would like to kind of take it at like 10 to 15 miles a day, go stay at the resort, maybe get massages, you know, <laughs> eat steak dinners, you know, just make it like a, a vacation hike yeah. in a way that like we both could just enjoy being outside and, and enjoying mm-hmm. each other's company. I think that's like super important. Like vacation, like human propelled vacation almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, it's a 50 mile section instead of my brain being like, well, that's like, you know, two days or less. It's like, well, <laughs> we can make that like five if we want to just stretch it out. So, yeah, you know, so we'll see what I end up, what I end up making or creating for that. Um, I've been considering like a, maybe a two person tent or something, but I, uh, it, it terrifies me a little bit. That's, it's not as simple of a design as <laughs> say like a pack or, or maybe like a quilt, but you know, who knows, maybe I'll get up the gusto to do it. That was, that was my next question is what do you, what do you want to make next? You know, pack sort of checked off. You've more, the, one of the weird things about making is once you make something, it's not exactly like a check mark as in like, okay, this is done now. Like it only in kind of tickles you to get, to get more, you, you got to make another pack or a different one. Like, is there yeah, you make these little adjustments yep. and like, well, maybe if I made that that way or that that way, and you try things out and you grow from that. But what's exciting is like taking on a new challenge. Like, what is the new thing? Um, but yeah, I think I think one of the two things that I'm considering next is either a synthetic overquilt. Um, me and Maddie, we have uh, a two-person quilt that when we were in the winter um, on the AZT. And I mean, we were down like 12 degrees and had frost over everything. I was like, it would be awesome to have like a synthetic overquilt to be able to pair with this, um, to be able to fight the frost off. So either like a couple's synthetic overquilt or um, a shelter of some sort, I think are, are going to be the next thing. That would be sweet. I love how you're taking it to the next level too. Like not just like pack, but now we're going to be like extreme contouring of a shelter or insulation which is horrible <laughs> yeah both, both are both are terrible to work with good yeah. thing is with the with the apex material like it is a sheet so it makes yeah. it easier to work with Way so easier. i think i think that might be what i'm leaning toward towards more yeah. um but honestly it's 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 been a goal of mine for the longest time because you know i've done at pct mm-hmm. and i always had this idea that i would hike the cdt with gear that i made myself mm-hmm. um and that started before i even touched a sewing machine so um, now that it's all kind of starting to come together, I think that might be a very real possibility. Uh, the shelter thing though, I think is going to take a lot more error and a lot more, uh, messing around with things. I've got to, I got to reach out to Leah cause she did a great job on, on her tent. Um, so I gotta, I gotta get some feedback from her. 
yeah, she has a a lot of <laughs> I would a lot of words and uh, trial and error experience on that. So I'm sure her mistrials could lead you a little bit further without having um, to make those same mistakes. I know that you have a little pup with your partner Maddie. Do you plan on making any dog gear? Um. Yeah, actually, Leah, Leah also just made some booties <laughs> for, for, yeah. yeah. Um, wait, she made a harness too? Yeah, she made a harness no as well. Yeah. Dang, I might have to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she, she actually just, I think like today or yesterday made some dog booties and I was picking her brain about that because I, I've tried different brands on Waldo, that's her dog, uh, on his paws. Um, but his paws are like too narrow and everything just tends to slide off. So within like two minutes of trying to use it on a trail, it's off. So she had this idea of like these almost like rubber gardening gloves. I think that were her grandmother's that she repurposed um, into dog booties. And I'm like, that is such a good idea. So I think maybe something like that. Um, I, I've already made kind of made, I repurposed you know, those Costco down quilts that, that everybody kind of plays around with, uh, you know, seam ripped it, pushed all the down to kind of one side and then like restitched like a channel in it, uh, with like a shock cord. So I've already made him his own little personal quilt, uh, that he, that he uses. Um, and I've seen some of like the sleeping bag designs that like noon attack has out there and that stuff looks really cool. So I'm like maybe something sleep wise, but I think if anything, booties, I gotta, I gotta come up with something because I want to take him on like a, a week long hike. He does, he does really well. Like he'll do 15 mile days. He's a small dog, but he'll do 15 miles a day and handles it like a champ, but he hasn't shown any signs of wear in his paws, but I just want to be sure that, you know, he's safe and he's not hurt. Yeah. Well, what better place to end on than on dog gear? Bring a little <laughs> wholesome action here. Jonathan, where can people find you if they want to see more of your content and your adventures and making? Well, uh, right now on either YouTube or Instagram uh, at Meow Hikes. So that's my trail name is Meow or Meow Meow. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Meow Hikes, like I said, both YouTube and Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us again and giving us an hour of your day. Um, We really appreciate it. We've appreciated your friendship for the past year, and we're really excited to see what you come up with for the next year, because we know it's going to be epic. Um, We love everything that you do, and yeah, we're just super stoked for all of your future adventures. I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate your support. It's been so nice having you guys help me out. You guys are an amazing team. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we will be in touch with you, Jonathan, yeah. or meow, meow, meow. <laughs> thank <laughs> you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. Bye, Jonathan.